church. Let's lift our hands. Let's clap our hands. Lord, we give you honor and glory. We magnify you. We could never, we could never over-worship you, Lord, over-exalt you, for you are great and greatly to be praised. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. 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 I love my wife, Daytha. I'm so glad that she's here as well. Book of Genesis, chapter number 12 and verse number 18. That was the best decision I ever made in my life. Amen. That was a good time for her to say amen, but she didn't even take advantage of that. Amen. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Genesis, will you help me preach tonight? Amen. I, I trust that you will. Let, let's, let's see what the Lord will do for us. I, I have a feeling that God wants to help us tonight. And uh, as we look to his word, book of Genesis, chapter number 12 and verse number 8. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched its, his tent. Having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. It all happens there. It all happens there. Lord, I thank you for the presence of God, for the Spirit of the Lord that's already here, for the the worship that has been expressed, the effort and the energy that has gone in. For we worship you in mind and body, all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And Lord, we know that we will be rewarded with your presence. And so Lord, I I thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do in our lives. Give you all the praise and the honor and the glory in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. And you may be seated. Uh, just recently, it's not been too long ago that I was visiting the church in which I had grown up, and things had changed, and they had built a new building, and uh, a beautiful building, and you could see the hand of the Lord as it, uh, the Lord had blessed them abundantly, and and uh, we were there for a Bible quiz meet, and while we were there, uh, my Pastor, he was walking in when I was a boy. He, he came walking in, and he caught my eye, and he just came up, and they had a little, a little slant, which I, I kind of liked. It was a, a balcony area, but it wasn't a balcony area. And uh, this is just kind of how, how a pastor's mind worked. I was sitting there, and because it was the first time I was really just able to sit and to take a look at, at uh, what they had done and the building they had built and I was uh, <clears throat> on the way in. I was looking at the architecture, and there they had a a, uh, a I don't know if it was called a portico or what they called it, but it was a place where you can kind of like you have out here. It was this big you could you could pull up underneath it in the rain. And my wife even mentioned that as we um, pulled up. She said, "Oh, what a nice area here! Two or three cars could go at the same time, and and a." big dome. And she said, oh, I'd like to have that someday. I said, it is nice. I'd like to have that as well. And we noticed the colors and the carpet and and uh, the decorations and and uh, just all the things that were placed together. And when he sat down, 
he just come and plopped down beside me on these stairs that we were on because it wasn't a true balcony. It, it just the floor when it got back to the back, everything just started to level up so that it was almost like a bleacher kind of a thing rather than a balcony, so that it was easy access to the uh, to the main auditorium there to the front part. So he plopped down right there in the aisle, and I was commenting about his building and. And he said, oh, we, we just, we love this building. He talked about some things he liked. He talked about some things that he didn't like. <clears throat> he talked about the life center that what they were going to build out back. They had some property and just bought another, I think it was eight or ten acres, and they were going to build a life center. And he talked about that a little bit. He, he pointed to the front. He said, I really like the bump out on the platform. He said, uh, it works good. It kind of gives me a connection. And you could tell he, was, he wasn't just talking about the building. It was a, almost like it was a, a, a personification of the building. It was a part of him. He'd, it was blood, sweat, and tears that had already, he, it was in his pores. I could almost smell the building as he talked about it. He was, he was bought into it. He talked about that little bump out. He said, I love that bump out. He said, I'm able to walk down. It connects me to the to the audience, and he said, uh, not only that, he said, um, I like the way, you know, this seating, he talked about how many, I asked how many the bottom uh, level, just the flat area would seat, and how much this, this, uh, this raised level would seat, and it was amazing, it was more than I really thought. He talked about the transitions. He talked about how that it was easy to be accessed and the fellowship was to the right and how they organized it. And then all of a sudden, he just stopped. It was almost like somebody pulled out in front of him and he put on the brakes and he stopped and he looked me right in the eye and he said, but you know what I really like? I could tell there was so much about it that I liked there, there were so many ideas that I already have tucked away in my mental files that if I ever get an opportunity to build, that, that I like that, I like that. And there's always some things that ah, I could do or do without, but I like that and I like that. And I said, well, what, what, what do you really like? He said, I like the 126 feet of altar. And sure enough, as I, as I looked from him and back to the altar, I, I'd already made that mental note that it was wider than it was uh, than most altars. He said, I really, he said, I wouldn't do without it. I love the 126 feet of altar space because, and then he said this, it all happens there. Everything happens right there. And as he said that, I just felt a weight. It does. It all happens right there. There's not a single one of us that can live without an altar experience in our lives. We all, we all can go back to the altar area, and some of us, it was maybe a crude campground. I don't go to one camp meeting that, that maybe a speaker or somebody doesn't reflect upon a, an altar experience that changed their lives, that called them the priest, that they were filled with the Holy Ghost, that healings came and deliverance came. And, and go, go to churches. I've been in churches where it was just a, a, cla uh, just a wooden clabbered floor with, with, uh, where you could hear the creaks when everybody would step. But yet it was just as sacred as those who have an elaborate altar. When we moved from the, the, um, the, the, we were, we first planted a church and we were in 
uh, it was Graham Elementary School. Anytime we get to talking about Graham, you can begin to see Brother Glenn Birch in our church, our head usher. He warms. His facial experience changes. And he'll even, he'll even vocally say, yeah, but there's no place like Graham. And, and, and it takes me back for a moment because I've had so many services with no air conditioner in the summertime and no heater in the wintertime. But he goes on to say, because it was at the free throw line. It was at the free throw line where God baptized me with the power of the Holy Ghost. It was that altar. So I don't care if it's a carpeted or concrete. I don't care if it's the campground or a cafeteria. We all have altars in our life. And everything happens right there. There's no place like an altar. I've crawled to them and ran to them. I've lived long there, and sometimes it's a short experience, and sometimes it's almost like my knuckles turn white. You've got to pull me away from the altar. But my life experiences are not the same, would not be the same without the altar. In the book of Genesis chapter number 12, it was Abraham. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house today. I want to tell you, it all happens right here. It's at the altar where lives are changed, where people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, where prostitutes become Sunday school teachers. And come on, it's for the up and out and the down and out when people make their way down to an altar, when they walk that 15 or 20 feet. Anything can happen in the lives of people at an old-fashioned altar. Let's clap our hands to the Lord for a moment. Amen. When Abraham built his altar, he built it between Bethel and Ai. That, that H-A-I, it's the same as Ai. The Ai where, uh, where uh, you know, it it's, it's wasn't such a good place. Matter of fact, Ai means ruin or house of vanity. It was a place of rubble and defeat in Joshua's life. It, was, it happened just after Jericho. It was a tremendous victory at Jericho where the walls, you can hear Sunday school kids as they sing their songs about the walls of Jericho falling flat. It was such a powerful experience and yet on the heels of victory came a miserable defeat at the hands of the inhabitants of Ai. It was a place of ruin and vanity. Vanity. Because Joshua thought that he did not need the help of the Lord. He didn't need, he didn't even inquire the hand of the Lord to help him. He just said, we'll send a couple of thousand folks up there and we'll be back before just serve dinner. We'll be back in just a short while and bring the victory back. But the Bible says because he did not inquire of the Lord that he suffered defeat. It was vanity and ruin. It was when Abraham built his, his, his altar, there, there he is. He sees Bethel on one side and Ai on the other. On one side is the vanity, the ruin. That it, it, was, it was everything that would uh, replicate disaster in your life. But on the other side was Bethel. It was the house of bread. It was the place of blessing. It was the place of deliverance. It was the place of encouragement. And that's where he built his altar. 
I want to tell you that when you come to the altar, it puts everything in proper perspective. We see what really is vanity and what really is blessing. There have been so many things that I thought I wanted. Brother Jordan, there have been so many things in life that I've even chased in life. I've invested myself in. But one trip to an old-fashioned altar and the clouds pull away. And all of a sudden the smoke clears and we see it for what it really is. I'm going to tell you before you make your decisions in life, you need to find yourself at an altar so that you can be between Bethel and Ai, that you can navigate this. Come on. If you're going to navigate this world, you need an altar where you can see the good and the bad, the blessing and the destruction so that we can navigate this. I'm telling you, this is an altar experience that will get you all the way to heaven. Come on. Everybody needs an altar in your life. Oh, clap your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I've seen, I've seen folks make some... Listen, altars are not always just a couple of steps at church. Sometimes altar experiences just... It, 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 might be, it might be at the sink while you're washing dishes and the Holy Ghost comes and you build an altar right there. It might be an old barn out back or a cornfield where your knees are muddy, but you're building an altar before the Lord. It might be the house of God right in front of the pulpit but everybody needs an altar to navigate life. We don't make decisions. Oh, I hope, come on, hear me now. You don't make decisions by, by your own intellect because his ways are above our ways. His wisdom's above my wisdom. And when I seek the altar, listen, I, I look back. Maybe I won't stand if you would. I want you to stand. I thank the Lord for you. I do. You know why? Because I look back at, at what I could have got stuck with if by my own. Oh, baby. Thank you, Jesus. He's a good God, I'm telling you. But I'm going to tell you, it's because of an altar. It's because of an altar. We're, we're, we, we didn't just, we're not smart enough for this. But at an altar, and in an altar, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. I'll tell you, the, the best thing that you could do with a husband and a wife is build an altar together. If you want your family to be saved, you want direction in your life. Is it Taryn? Taryn. Don't get nervous, Taryn. Yeah. I like you, and I don't even... How old are you, Taryn? Eight? Do you have the Holy Ghost yet, Taryn? Nope. Do you want the Holy Ghost? I thought so. God's going to, you know what, Taryn? I felt the anointing of the Lord on you. Aiden, how old are you, Aiden? Nine. Unbelievable. Have you got the Holy Ghost, Aiden? I'm praying for your dad. Because <laughs> if he gets paid back, listen. God's got his hand. I felt the Holy, listen, I felt the Holy Ghost on you. Both of you, get as close to that altar. You know, I'm, I'm glad you're not on the back row, but matter of fact, I got a feeling that we've just kind of edged forward because when you put some eight and nine-year-olds at an altar, I'm going to tell you what God will do. Uh, you may not see it. You may not understand it, but I want to tell you what will happen at an altar. 
He'll get some giant killers and he'll get some deliverers. He'll bring you out of a flood. He'll raise them up the way that he wants to. Why? Because they were committed at an old fashioned altar. When you put an altar experience in a little girl's life or a little boy's life, it'll raise them up and it'll be the devil's worst nightmare. Everybody needs an altar. When we navigate life, I don't want to navigate life just ambling through, just believing that life happens. No, life doesn't happen. It happens when I see AI on the left and Bethel on the right, and I'm going to chart my course by my altar. God is going to help me get there. Come on, I'm telling you, get your altar between Bethel and AI. This is the direction that we need. It puts everything in perspective. Clap your hands to the Lord. Nothing is bigger than your altar. Nothing was bigger in Solomon's temple than that altar. It didn't matter if it was the table of showbread on the right or the candlestick on the left, that altar of incense just before the Holy of Holies, that veil that that was the backdrop of, oh, there it is, that altar of incense. Just when you come in and you look around, it was that candlestick that gave light, and you can see that brass and gold as it begins to glisten. I passed up that brazen laver as I washed just before. It was in the outer court just before I entered into the holy place and the staves and the silver rings that were holding up the curtains. And all of a sudden I go back and I stand in awe at the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of God. What power and might and majesty can you imagine as all of those Israelites, they pull back the the ram skins of their tent and they look towards the tabernacle and watch, I see it now, the glory of God as it comes down to receive that atonement sacrifice and the sins of Israel are rolled ahead. It was the Ark of the Covenant. It was the most majestic piece, but I want to tell you this. No article was bigger than that altar. Your experience in God will never be any bigger than that altar. I don't care how much glory there is. It doesn't matter how much power there is. It will never exceed an altar experience. That's why I'm bent. I'm going to build a big altar because it turns into big experiences with God. I'll never forget watching him come down. I won't mention his name for the sake of, of his privacy, but I was just a, I was just about a junior in high school. We were having a, a an end-time crusade. The preacher preached, and the altars begin to fill up. I remember standing on the second step just so I could look him in the eye. He, he was a, a, a little ragged. You could tell he was already worn out a little bit. Life had treated him a little rough. He'd made some terrible, terrible mistakes. I, I was green and wet behind the ears. I, I was there at that altar, and uh, I, I said, uh, have you got the baptism of the Holy Ghost? And he stopped me. He said, son, I want to tell you. He said, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't understand. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm in a court case. He said, I messed up. And then he began to tell me what he was uh, in court for. And my ears were too young to hear. I, 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 just, I couldn't imagine. It was incomprehensible to me, to the deed that he had done. He said, I'm facing years in prison. He said, I, I just made some mistakes. There were some mistakes on both sides. But he said, I may never see the light of day. I said, I don't know about all that. 
I can't figure that out. That's too big for him. But I do know this. You're at an altar tonight. I know this, that the power of God is here right now. I'm getting ready to lay my hands on you, and and we're just going to turn it over to the Lord. Tears begin to flow down his face. And I, I, I remember just beginning to lay my hand on his head. He was in disbelief as, as to what God could do in his life. But I, I never forget as we begin to pray, he stretched out those hands towards heaven. Those tears begin to flow, and I watched him begin to speak in other tongues as he was marvelously filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Brother Jordan, there's not one service. That was that was well over 35 years ago. There's not one time that I don't meet him at a camp meeting. There's not one time that our paths don't cross, that he doesn't see me across the room because he was delivered by the power of God. If he were to tell you, he would say, the biggest experience in my life was that night at an old-fashioned altar. It's the biggest experience in your life. For some of you, he turned a drunkard into a worshiper. For some of us, he turned those who were on depression. But now I've got joy in my life. Uh, He turned your life around. He helped you. Come on, I'm telling you, you got suits and ties and silk dresses on right now. But it's only by the grace of God that we are even here. We visited an altar before the Lord. God is a good God. It's the biggest experience in your life. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. I know that it's a difficult walk, taking those 15 or 20 or 25 steps down to an old-fashioned altar, but it will be the greatest thing that you've ever done. Hallelujah. I've watched folks that they were, it was, uh, we were, my wife and I, we were traveling. We were preaching just a little old country church out of Mississippi. I, I, I love Older white-haired saints, tenacious. I'm talking about bulldog. Just there, they're not going to let you go. I, I remember we finished preaching, preaching that sermon, and I felt the Holy Ghost. He was sitting about three rows back on my left-hand side. And while I finished preaching, I gave a three-minute, five-minute, eight-minute, almost uncomfortably long altar call. Kept preaching for him. I, he would not come, so I. I just, uh, the others, there were others coming, and I knew we had to move forward, so we did. I started to make my way down to him, and as I did, I looked up, and there was a a little white-haired sister. He he just kept his head down. His knuckles were white, literally on the back of that pew. And when when I just brought everybody forward, he started to step out into the aisle and head back. But when he did, there was a dear saint, probably 70 years old or so. She'd come in, and she, she just kind of blocked it so he couldn't get out. And she didn't even look at him. She just raised her hands and started praising Jesus. Listen, you're taking your life into your own hands when you, when you interrupt saints who pray, those kind of saints that pray. He, he looked at her, and, oh, he, he, didn't, he, he didn't want any part of that. So he turned around to go the other side, only to find there was another one making it, and she... He didn't know what to do, so he just went like this. And there was one in the front and one behind. 
we're just going to build an altar right here. I, I, I watched them as they just started putting wood on the fire. They just started praising and praying. They just turned their hands directed towards him. It was only about five minutes down the road, and I watched the tears start to flow. I watched an old reprobate backslider. Pretty soon one hand went up, and then another hand went up. I'm telling you, it's the biggest experience in your life. It will change you forever, that altar. Everybody needs an altar. It all happens right there. Somebody, Come on, let's clap our hands to the Lord. God, I don't know how we got wrapped up in it, caught in the web. He's one of the most interesting, intriguing, shrewd individuals of the Bible. Joab, he, he's, he, he's hard to figure out, a little shifty. He's, he's all in for the kingdom one moment. He'll kill for David. He'll lay his life down for the kingdom, and then he's usurping it the next. He's hard to figure out. He's for it and against it, and then he's, he's conniving and committed. He's, he, it's tepid, and, and David knew him for who he was. And towards the end of David's life, when his life was ebbing away, when he was in and out, when the fluidity of life was, was coming and going, finally, Nathan the prophet comes to Bathsheba and says, I've heard something. I, I, I've heard that they have, they have, they're placing, they're placing uh, Adonijah on the throne. I, I, I think you better do something about this. So Bathsheba goes into David and says, my Lord, did, did you not promise that Solomon would be the one who would be on the throne? But I've heard word, the trumpets have blown, the chariot has been drawn. They're following, they're calling him, God save our king. And Adonijah is racing through the streets. Solomon has no hope. There will be, I, I, I won't make it till nightfall. And David, you can see him as he, he comes back to life and he says, oh no, Solomon is king. Solomon is king. Solomon is, he's He's anointed. He is the crowns placed on his on his head, and the covert operation in a big way has been foiled. And now you have Joab and and the priest and uh, their their Abathar the priest. They have they have uh, now. What do we do? Solomon comes to the throne, and Solomon says, "I tell you what, I will spare your life." which is more than you would do for me. I will spare your life. However, I'm going to spare your life on one condition. You, you, it better be full-throated support for me. This kingdom is going to live. Otherwise, you will die. And so, and so I don't know how much time goes on, but then there was a little girl by the name of Abishag, Abishag was an inconsequential figure. She doesn't mean anything. As a matter of fact, with David, all of his wives and concubines, why? All she was, she was almost used for just medicinal purposes. David didn't even know her. 
She was a young virgin that came in at David's last ebbing days and so that he might get warm. She was to comfort David in those dying hours. It was literally hours. And Adonijah, he, he goes and asks Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and says, um, I just have one request. I, I want to know that what is Abishag in all of the kingdom? What, what, is, what, is, what is she to Solomon? Uh, he, he has his pick of the litter. He, can, he, can, he has anybody he wants. Could I just have Abishag? And so Bathsheba goes in, but there was a, a law. It was history. It was law that if, if the king, if he dies, to ensure or to send a, a symbol or a sign for the new king. If, you, if he would to, to take the king's harem or wives, he would for sure, the entire country would know we have a new king on the throne. It was, it, there was nothing more precious to the king than that. And it was a subversive plot initiated by none other than Joab. It surely would have been, this wasn't as covert. It wasn't as big. It was now just a small seed that was planted. They were perpetrating the plot. Go ask for Abishag. And when Bathsheba asks for Abishag, Solomon in all of his wisdom says, this is nothing more than a plot for the kingdom. I know it looks small. I know it's not as large as the other plot. This is just a small thing. Even mother, you don't even recognize it, but this is a plot for the kingdom and they've asked this at their own life. I'm going to tell you there is an altar that will not save you. There is an altar that won't do you any good. And the Bible says that when Joab heard news, when he, when he heard that, that Solomon, he, he was able to pull the cloak back. He saw that he recognized the plot for what it was. Joab ran into the temple. He gets a hold of the horns of the altar because it was Solomon's decree. Kill Joab. He's after the kingdom. His motives are not right. And so Benai, he sends Benai out to the tabernacle. When he finds Joab clinging to the horns of the altar, he, he, he doesn't know what to do. This is the altar. This is a sacred place. This is the altar of the Lord. He goes back to Solomon, and Solomon says, slay him there. Well, why do you want me to slay him at the altar? Isn't this the place of change? No, it's not. Didn't you see the plot? Don't you recognize it? It's the same old Joab, I'll tell you an altar that won't save you is an altar that you can come to and just visit but never change. It's an altar that will not save you. Just making a trip down to an altar and shedding a pool of tears is not enough. Just a visit to the altar is not enough. There's got to be a time off the cloak of flesh where we lay down all of our motives where we're, where we're just open before the Lord and say Lord here I am warts and all Lord change me I'm going to tell you when you can visit an altar but never change the altar will do you no good but I'm going to tell you I've got news for the worst among us the apostle Paul who was the chiefest of all sinners said I only know one place to go for the worst for those that got big problems or small problems if they ever get down to an altar if they're willing to open up and change before the Lord there's hope at an altar but if you won't change 
There is no hope. I tell you, whether for good or bad, it all happens right here at this altar. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord for a moment. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost today. Amen, 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 amen. Amen. As the musicians come, I conclude with this. If it doesn't happen here, it just ain't going to happen. If it doesn't happen at an altar, it just won't happen anywhere else. AA can't fix what an altar can't fix. Uh, come on, do you hear me? Hospitals at the end of the day, they're just practicing medicine. But I want to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm living proof. Uh, I'm telling you when the doctors will tell you that cancer, you're, you're done for. You'll never, be, you'll, never, you'll never be clean of cancer. I'll tell you what changed me. One trip down to an old-fashioned altar. Altar. I've got living proof. I can testify that at an altar, things can be changed. If it doesn't happen here, it just ain't going to happen. But I've got good news for somebody today. You're carrying around whether big things or small things. It doesn't matter to God. All that really matters is that I come with an open heart. I come with honesty before the Lord. But when I do come, I don't want to leave being the same old guy that came. But when I come down to this altar, I'm telling you, I've been here before. I know what the Lord can do. I'm not just coming to hope. I'm coming to Lord, change me. Lord, make a difference in my life. Change me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. I'm telling you, when you come to an altar like that, anything can happen. But if it doesn't happen here, it just ain't going to happen. But I got a feeling as we stand together. I felt it. I felt it for a few days now. I feel change in the air. I feel a sense of change here. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, asking, I'm asking just one or two of you at this altar, is there one or two of you that could say, I know where it happened for me. I know where I got the Holy Ghost. It was right, 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 no, right here. Is there anybody that could come and stand at a place where you received the baptism? Just, just a couple of you. Just come and stand. Hey, there's one. Right here? Right here. That's it. Right here. Right here. Right there. Is, you didn't even make it to the altar. But an aisle is a good place to make an altar. What about somebody that received healing. Where, where, where is there one or two that can say, I, I, I know where it happened. I, I, I know where it happened. I know where it happened for me. Healing. I can take you to the spot. Is there, is there one or two more? Come on, that's it. Healing. 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 Right there. Healing. Healing. Is there anybody? Is there anybody? Come on. There's, there's, there's nothing. There's no, this is not a, it's sacred, but I'm going to tell you, we all experience healing right back there. Healing. Healing. I'm telling you, this is a sacred place. We may move from this place, but there's one thing we're taking with us. We're taking the altar with us. We can do without a lot of stuff, but we're never going to do without an altar because it's where healing comes. Salvation comes. 
Is there anybody that got your mind back? You were thinking, you were, you were stinking thinking. It was thinking it was taking you down the wrong way. But when you got to the altar, your mind got transformed. You got turned around in your mind. Is there anybody that had your mind renewed? That had, come on, your heart renewed, your mind renewed. I've got news, that's it, sir. I saw the Holy Ghost start to minister to you about 10 or 15 minutes ago. He's still in the changing business, I'm telling you. He's still got blessing. He's still got a touch. We're going to come back. Come on, where is it? Where is it? Show me. Show me right over here. It's a familiar place. It's a familiar place. That's it. But I want to tell you in the name of Jesus Christ, he still does a work right there. It's still the altar. It's still a place of healing. It's still a place. Come on. My mind is still renewed. My heart is still touched. Now, if you're here tonight, here's what I feel. Come on. Don't wait. Don't, don't wait. Because I feel the touch of Jesus Christ in a powerful way. I feel like there's somebody that says, I got to get to that altar. I got to renew my experience. Things have gotten cold. Things, come on, does anybody hear me now? If something's gotten cold, if you need to renew, if you need a healing, if you need the Holy Ghost, if you need the touch of God, I wouldn't wait. I tell you, if it doesn't happen here, it just ain't going to happen. I got to get down to that altar. I got to experience the touch of God. That's it. Come, come. All across this place. Let's fill this place with prayer and praise. Come on, I feel faith in this house. I feel faith in this house. Lift your hands to heaven. Lift your hands to heaven. God is about to do a work. God's about to call. I feel, oh my God, my God. I feel calling here. I feel anointing here. He's going to call someone to ministry. He's talking to somebody about deeper consecration. He's talking to somebody about renewal. Come on. This is a place of change. Yes, yes. Pour it out, pour it out, pour it out. Pour it out, pour it out. That's it, that's it. That's it, that's it, that's it. That's it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, altar worker. I need some altar workers. Lay your hand on somebody around you. Come on, if you've got faith, I want you to lay your hand on somebody's shoulder. Altar worker. This is the altar, but I need some altar workers that know how to bring somebody into the presence of the Lord. Somebody that has full of faith. Come on, God's calling. God's ministering in the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, 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 yes. 